That love story between Rogue and Gambit. Uh, oh my gosh. Yes, from the 90s cartoon. Yep. Where he's like, mon cher. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> oh my God. Like, Gambit. Yes, honey. Ooh, uh, like, those two, man. They I know. To have that like... Cajun accent. And... Man, those two were the bomb. It's Tuesday, December 4th, and you're listening to the latest episode of the Typed Out Podcast. Going up on a Tuesday! (laughs) And joining me today are my best friends, Marchant Davis, who you may remember from our pre-release episode with Motivote, and none other than Skills Priscilla Curtis. (laughs) Happy to be here. And every Tuesday, Typed Out aims to bring you a conversation that seeks to expand the boundaries of understanding and acceptance. But in today's episode, we're going to be speaking about Stan Lee and his work with Marvel. So recently, Bill Maher had issued a statement saying that Stan Lee's work is the reason why Trump is in office at the moment. Essentially saying that comic books and the adults' refusal to let go of childhood is the reason why I guess we're facing certain issues right now, which is an interesting perspective. So what I really wanted to do with today's podcast was speak with not only Priscilla and Marchant, but also three guests that you'll hear throughout the episode about how Stan Lee and Marvel has touched their lives and his work has not only given them a sense of identity, but also maybe established traditions and even career opportunities. So welcome to Priscilla and Marchant, also known as my Deathly Hallows crew. Yes. Yeah. So, which we haven't entirely sorted out who's who, Ooh, like who's Harry, Hermione, or Ron. If maybe, maybe we're all three of them, who knows? I think I would probably be Hermione. I might be Harry or Ron, but yeah, I'm I feel, more like Ron. I feel like I might be the Ron of the group. I'm not sure though. Yes. So, uh, well, both of you are quite funny, so you could certainly split the Ron role. I just feel like I'm always have my... Well, you and I love to read, Priscilla, so uh, yeah. I feel like, I don't know, we've always got I our think the heads blend. in the book. I think the little bit, yeah. we're all a little bit of all three. Yeah. That's right. Actually Mine seems to make really the most smart, sense. and I think we're all pretty blind, Oh, that's true. So, so maybe two yeah. of us are like three. And then one- <laughs> <laughs> Shots fired, y'all. Shots fired. Shots fired. I just think of us as the symbol, right? We're the three Deathly Hallows all as one. So the reason why I wanted to bring the both of you, Marchant and Priscilla, to to record this episode is because we have a running tradition of going to see the Marvel movies when they release. Yes, we do. We did not see Venom, though. We haven't seen Venom yet. Just to put that. Yes. Yeah. Both of you are traveling. We're not going to lie. <laughs> or to deceive. No, so. no all cars on the table. We have not had time to see Venom yet. No, not yet. Marchant and Priscilla are both performers. So Marchant, you are an actor and Priscilla, a dancer. Both very talented, both working. So that's why we haven't seen Venom. But don't you worry. We'll be doing that soon. The The last movie that we did see was Avengers, which I'm we're hoping for that trailer to drop soon. And I heard that there was a little bit of a Easter egg in the first movie in Infinity War, something to do with Doctor Strange's prediction of, of how many likely possibilities there are for the scenario, apparently correlated to a date, uh, which I think is supposed to be this month. Hopefully we'll be having an Avengers 4 trailer soon. <sighs> And if you know, please reach out and tell us so that yes. we know what to look for. Yeah, this you better be tagging typed out as soon as you see that trailer drop because uh, we're we're here to support. What I really wanted to ask you guys was how how has Marvel and Stan Lee and superheroes really shaped you or or your childhood or what is it that brings you to the movie theater every time that there's a new Marvel 
movie out. Yes, X-Men. That's what breaks me. Did that go as you guys planned? No, not for skills. If you're too young to remember, that was the 90s theme song to the X-Men. Yes, I still remember Saturday mornings. And watching on Fox at the time. Yeah. Uh, watching like the original, you know, like the Fox cartoon version of the X-Men. Yes. Before it was like X-Men Evolution and all the other things. Yeah. Um, so for me, it was like seeing all the X-Men. I was like, it, it was just a ritual. Like it, it, be, it became like ritualistic. I would every Saturday morning run <laughs> to the television. So my brother wouldn't turn on his shows. My oldest brother, I mean. Yeah. And we, me and my brother would watch X-Men. Like that was it. Yeah. That was the thing to do. Um, and I love those characters. I mean, I don't know. They were just, uh, for me, the possibility, possibilities that they like had, and also like the acceptance. X-Men was like so cool because I was like, you got this side and you got this side, but neither side is like actually good or bad. You yeah. know what I mean? Because I was like, I kind of agree with Magneto at times. I, mean, I, was yeah. Like, yeah. I was like, he's kind of, and I've heard like reference, I've heard like uh, at times um, people say that when Stan Lee had thought about the X-Men, he was thinking about Martin Luther King mm. and um, Malcolm X with Magneto and Professor X. Magneto being Mal- Malcolm X, mm. Martin Luther King being Professor X. Yeah. Um, and I feel like I see that. X-Men was my intro to, to Marvel and probably through the, the 90s cartoon. But then I, I wound up, I don't know if you guys remember this, but the Fleer Ultra cards, like I used to be a huge collector of the, the Fleer Ultra, which was something that my brother introduced me to. But the thing that I love about the X-Men, and they made this kind of clear in the second Brian Singer movie, is the correlation to not only the figures that inspired the Brotherhood of the Mutants, which is Magneto and and the X-Men, but how these people who are othered by society because of the abilities that they have, I gravitated to it because of like the coming out stories, quote unquote, mm-hmm. that go that go along with it. Like in, mm-hmm. in X2, which I will still stand by as being the best in in the series yeah it's the best out of all those for sure because y'all messed up <laughs> yes the, the first one was great it was a nice little soft Give intro X2 was great y'all and then I don't even know what happened with X3 anyway uh, but that all being said I just remember when there is that scene in X2 and Bobby Iceman is sitting down at home because they they had to leave Westchester for some reason or other that escapes me at the moment but he's there with his parents and he comes out as a mutant and like his mom does the whole thing well have you tried not being a mutant like it it's the thing is like what i really wanted to highlight about x-men um black panther everything that stan lee has done has really been a a call and response to what is happening socially even using Mm -hmm. malcolm x and dr martin luther king as figureheads for or inspiration for certain characters and so I, I really want to hold Bill Maher and, and his idea to task that comics and people seeing these things as cartoons and not uh, adult material is false. It makes me think of fairy tales, right? And the true nature of fairy tales. If we go back to the, the Brothers Grimm origins of, of fairy tales and even before them, is that fairy tales were used as a method to inform children about very adult yes. things. Like... 
um, Little Red Riding Hood, just being cautious of strangers and and Sleeping Beauty it has everything to do with womanhood and virginity and her pricking herself on the needle. And it's all of these adult themes. Like, that's the thing is, is that children's literature, even coming back to Harry Potter, like as that series continued, each book got progressively more adult in material, right? He, Harry starts dealing with death from, from the first book. I mean, yeah. the loss of his parents. When we look at children's literature, it's not because these stories are just for kids. It is their intro into adult themes because that's what we do in this life is we navigate all the things that happen to us as we get older. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. So, Which also makes me wonder, like, in, in, not Black Panther, in Avengers, like, what Stanley was like, oh, we have to also let kids know that, like, these superheroes aren't immortal. Right. <laughs> yeah. Because, see, like, at the end of that, and, and that sometimes they just go without reason or cause. Yeah. Or people. Yeah. And I think, too, it's important to note in comics, one of the main things is just the battling of good versus evil, which is something that it always exists in our world. And I think, you know, as a kid and then, like, coming into adulthood, just reminding yourself and navigating that and you know in some of the stories and stuff they hit these moments when you're like there is no way out of this like evil is going to triumph there's no way that you know what i mean it's it's impossible in this moment and then something will happen or somebody steps up or Mm. all these different things and it's always because at any point in life you hit moments when you're like there is no way out of this or this is a hopeless situation or whatever and you either pull yourself out of it or someone helps you out of it or life circumstance changes or something happens that you didn't see coming. And I think it's always a good reminder. And that's one of the things about stories and storytelling is that it reminds you that stories are always based off of life or they're written by people who've experienced life. And yeah, and then you can take those and find the hope in the situations and apply it to your life and different things like that. And I think that's such an important thing. And yeah, so if someone is going to say something like, you know, it's people who are stuck in their childhood, I think it's completely absurd because I think these themes are there. They're there to help you. They're there to guide you along with being entertainment, but they're also can spur you forward. Yeah. Everyone loves a superhero. You know what I mean? Everyone yeah. loves a hero. Everyone loves. And then same thing as before, like the inclusion in this. It's like even way back in the beginning, there was women superheroes. There were superheroes of color. There were superheroes of all these different things. Um, X-Men, all about inclusion. Spider-Man's a teenager. You know what I mean? A kid who can step up and do things adults can't do. And I think these (laughs) are amazing themes that, um, yeah, should be explored. And, you know, nobody should shut that down. Like, step up and help. It made me think of that Mr. Rogers quote, you know, when he says, uh, my mom always told me whenever I see something scary on the news to look for the helpers. Mm -hmm. There's always somebody willing to help. Yeah. 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 100%. Absolutely. And the other thing is like just coming back to having an affinity for books. One of our favorite authors, Pierce Brown, he in in a conversation that I had the fortune to sit down and, and interview with him, he was saying that through his work, it's not about a call and response to what's happening at the moment, but overall themes. Mm-hmm. So it's it's like when you use things like comic books, like um, fiction in general, to use a little bit of escapism to take somebody out of the context of a situation, but still get them to reflect about the situation itself. Right. Mm-hmm. So if, if you right. constantly read the news and you're thinking about, I don't know, whatever the latest upset thing is, it's so easy to have or very clear to have your opinions about that very specific issue in that moment. 
Mm-hmm. But if you were to read something in like a yes. novel or a comic book that relates to the issue but isn't the issue itself, it can sometimes help you gain perspective. Right. You know, which is what I appreciate about right. Pierce's work and also about what Stan Lee has done, where you take figures like Malcolm X, like Dr. Martin Luther King, and you put them in a new context, right? Still what they stand for, but mm-hmm. in a new context, and people don't even realize what they're reading, what they're absorbing, right? They're going for a story, and I love the smile that's on your face because I know something is going to come. <laughs> well, but... it's like, it's like, it's funny. Stanley was like, hmm, how, how can I be radical? <laughs> yeah. Uh, put put those, those like figureheads in there. And they get white people to watch. Exactly. Yeah, but exactly. Yeah. Because otherwise, it's so like, it's how almost, do I get their children? Yeah. Right. It's almost subversive, Except. but it's not with the idea of being deceitful. Right. No. It's with the idea of informing. Yeah. You know, and so I think it's so easy to 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 label these things as being infantile and for children, and it's like actually some of the 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 best. Most adult things that I've seen have been in the form of animation. And I, I don't even want to say cartoon because, it, yeah, I have interviewed uh, an illustrator that I met at Anime NYC. And we, we talk about Hunter x Hunter, which is a, a Japanese anime. And the themes in that show are so next level in the sense that it's just like, I can't remember the last time I saw that on a live acted television show. I mean, yes, you've got things like This Is Us, but like, I think when you even hear the word cartoon, it comes with that whole connotation of it being something for children. We think mm-hmm. Tom and Jerry, we think Looney Tunes, which even still have their own themes in them, right? Yeah. But when you have a medium to tell a story and and create that suspension of disbelief, the magic that you can create, mm-hmm. right? When you actually can get somebody to think outside of the box. Also, for me, I hate to, like, bring it to race, but, like, it's not about race. It's about, like, representation. Mm -hmm. So, like, I was, growing up, I was in love with Falcon. Mm -hmm. Like, I had all the Falcon action figures. Nobody knew who it was. And to this day, the Marvel films kind of, like, in my mind, Falcon's the leader of the Avengers. Yes. (laughs) He has his own series in my head. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um... And, like, to see, for me growing up, to see that, like, oh, there's an action figure that looks like me. That that is simple. Like, I could be a superhero, too. Absolutely. And it doesn't have to look like Superman. I could be cool. I could talk to birds and stuff. (laughs) What about you, Priscilla? Who, like, are there any specific superheroes or villains, maybe, that call to you? Thinking back when we were talking about doing this and I was kind of thinking back through what like Marvel has kind of like been for me throughout the ages and I was trying to pinpoint like maybe like when it I recognized it or when it became a thing or became something in my life and I honestly couldn't remember. I feel like it's almost like Star Wars. Like I can't remember a time before I knew it. Mm. Um, but it was never huge. I never like read the comics a time when I was a kid. But I think I've always been pulled towards... Well, also, like, in the science fiction world and fantasy worlds and all these comics and all of that, just in things, like, bigger than yourself, things greater than real life or whole new worlds that are, like, built out of the imagination and all these kinds of things. And I feel like that's kind of where the pool has always been for me. I never had, like, specific characters that I really like. I mean, anytime you, like, 
read a story or you watch a movie or whatever, you kind of find the person that you like relate the most to or that you mm-hmm. would want to be. Or like as an actor, I'm like, ooh, well, I would want to play that person, or I would want, to, or I could do a great that, or whatever. But I think the main pull for me beyond like the specifics of the characters is just in general, just the creating of worlds or the something bigger than real life yeah. and these different kinds of things. Because yeah, that will help inspire you in like your regular life situations and stuff. And I feel like that's where some of the main pulls were for me. Yeah. Um, and I just think it's so cool how Stan Lee for so long created so many iconic characters that people relate to. Because some people do, like you with Falcon and people with other ones, specific characters really like resonated with them and shaped them and motivated Mm -hmm. them or changed them or inspired them. And he created so many iconic characters. And like how phenomenal for one man and his team and other people as well. But like it all started with him. He pioneered this whole thing. And I just think that that's so incredible. And like what a legacy to leave of like, you know, and it's grown into so much more with films and TV shows and still yeah. the comics and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but it kind of was all sparked from like his mind and his imagination and his way of changing the world and shaping the world to be a better place. Yeah. But his imagination, man. It's yeah. unreal. It is kind of so unreal. Cool. Because like who would have thought all those characters could live out in a universe? Right. Right. Believably, you and know what all, I mean, like, and they're all connected, right? You know, like they, the his storylines all cross over, yes, over. which is so true to this world. How mm-hmm. how interconnected, especially yeah. today, more than ever, yeah. we're so interconnected. But and the other thing, just coming back to the way that he, you know, again, Stanley and his team, because it's it's now at this point the legacy that he's built, the the empire that he's built. Um, but one thing I do want to touch upon is the depth to which that he not only gives backstory and, and motive to his heroes, but also his villains. And I know mm-hmm. that you, Marshawn, and we've talked about Killmonger from, yeah. from Black oh, yeah. Panther. And it was just like, you had me. You had me with your backstory up until... Up until you up until... choked that lady. Yeah. <laughs> Why and would you choke the you village can't... the village mom? You can't. <laughs> the can't too far, my yeah, friend. You went too, yeah. far. too far. And told her to burn everything. Yeah. Really? Oh. Really kill monkey. You done messed up. But yeah. even still, it's like with with his backstory, right? You, he was justified. Yeah. I mean, granted, not to say that anyone is justified in, in killing, but like his intent, I, I oh, understood. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, but most villains like are like that in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah. Magneto, they're very complex. Because you you go Thanos, Thanos, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's they're very, 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 very complex. Yeah, and I I think it's 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 exciting because it's like oh those those are actual people. We relate right. to them because they're people. Right, people are complex. Right. We aren't one thing or the other. Nobody's just a villain. Right, there's a possibility that like people could switch sides yeah yeah always that's what i mean x-men does that so well you know like there are characters like mystique that just like kind of jump back and forth according to started as an x-men yes she she was one of the original x-men and then she transferred over to the brotherhood magneto is another one he's probably in the x-men series one of my favorites just because he i really see the humanity in him and and professor x as well but I can see how I actually don't really mess with Professor X. I like really. <laughs> well, that whole mind control thing. I know. <laughs> I, I like. Know. I love. I love me some X P X. But like, yo, yeah, bro. You don't mess like, with him, but he'll mess with you though. Yeah, he'll get right thing. on in there. That's the yeah. thing. I, 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 I was Cerebral. like, what he did to Wolverine, and like, what's the, I'm I know. like, 
you just yeah I, I I actually think he's way more flawed than we make him out to be. Oh, for sure. Yeah. But that's the beauty of it. Justice. Right. right? That's the beauty of yeah. it is that is that he's not just the idol of goodness, mm-hmm. right? He this man has flaws. He's human, you know? And even the one thing that I love about Logan. If you haven't seen Logan, uh I'm just going to let you know that the next minute and a half might be containing spoilers. Yeah. So pause this. Yeah, put us Go on watch pause. It. Come yeah, back. yeah, yeah, come back. But Welcome back. The one thing I love. We miss you. <laughs> we miss. <laughs> the one thing I love about Logan is that how they take something very real world like uh, dementia mm-hmm. with Professor X, and it becomes the cause Ooh. of why the the mutants no longer exist in this world, except for those like Logan that have this incredible ability to heal. Mm-hmm. And again, here's another way of drawing attention to a very real world issue, mm-hmm. but putting it in a way that kind of magnifies it or puts it in a context to to show the magnitude of it's brilliant yeah yeah yeah, something like dementia or amnesia uh, well it's dementia i think yeah 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 because that's the thing too you don't always want to i mean sometimes it's nice in entertainment and stuff coming back to this is us to watch something that i mean i haven't seen much of it but from what i've heard um is very like true to real life you know sometimes there is something about watching that but you don't always want to watch things that are just like real life. Sometimes you want to watch things that pull you out of it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then help but, you see it in a new light. Yeah, but help you see it in a new light. Or, you know, you can be reminded of these themes or encouraged that other people deal with it. Um, but yeah, but outside the construct of like regular life. Because, you know, escapism is real. You know, you need that. You want that. Right. Um, it's why we have art. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's why... We have people like you guys who get up on stage or behind a camera, in front of a camera, to to create things that help us as humans identify themes, motifs, uh, provide lessons. Like it, it's how we learn from one another. You know, it cracks me up, or you know, makes me chuckle a little bit when I hear that like art is one of the first things to go in educational programs because what is art but human expression? Right. You know. Yeah. I think this is a good opportunity to hear from Gene Strickland from Seattle, Washington, who's going to share how Stan Lee and his work has not only helped her root for the underdog, find identity, but also set up a tradition in her family. Mm. And if you left because uh, Logan, you might want to come Yeah, back come now. on back now. Come on back now. We're ready for you. <laughs> Goodbye, Stan Lee. From a little girl you never met, you gave that kid who was always the outsider, always the new kid at school, the misfit, and identity. You gave me permission to be different, that there was strength in being different, that different could be good. While entertaining me, you were teaching me life lessons, empathy for the underdog, the other, to care about and fight on behalf of the other, as we all are in one way or another, and to embrace that. Because with acceptance, you realize that we aren't all that different after all. Acceptance may not come without a battle, but in the end, it's worth it. I grew up, and life happened, and I moved on and left comic books behind because I was out there putting into practice what I'd learned from your stories. Stepping up and standing up for the underdog. And then X-Men came to TV. I got to introduce my daughter to Storm, 
Wolverine Cyclops and how the stories related to real life and then the X-Men movies and coincidentally they all premiered around her birthday each year so it became a birthday tradition for us to see the new movie. We did this well into her, her adulthood until there were no more. Then all the other movies. By then I had grandkids and I got to introduce them one by one to Iron Man, Captain America, Thor, and on and on. In fact, I flew over 2,000 miles to take my oldest grandson to see an Iron Man movie because by then a new Marvel movie had become our tradition and as much as he wanted to see it, he would only go with me. So, Mr. Lee, you have touched me and mine for generations in a positive way. We will still be looking for your cameos in every Marvel film and you will be there. Rest well from the little girl you never met. Thanks for all the life lessons. And not all superheroes wear capes. superheroes wear capes they don't in uh, fact our true. real world superheroes don't you yeah. know coming right back to your mr rogers i was quote. just thinking stanley is like a mr rogers yeah in a different way though. yeah and see like the other thing is even though we talk about how um stanley and marvel have used current topics and and things that are happening as a way to create stories around them the other aspect of this is is also creating tradition through these stories mm -hmm. like like Jean prefaces and how you know it can not only give us a level of escape but it also creates something that we can then celebrate with our children or grandchildren or you know our loved ones like you know friends, the, yeah. with friends you know yeah. the three of us that we go to the movies together every time a new one comes every out time. yeah it's like uh, yeah sometimes at midnight yeah it's sometimes possible. at midnight what did we see at midnight black panther or black panther yeah we probably saw Avengers. I was like, I think we. I was like, we probably saw Avengers at midnight too. Yeah, I think we've seen a couple at midnight. Yeah. Like the only ones I can imagine we didn't was probably Ant Man. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that, yeah, was... that one was later. Yeah, but the other ones we saw like boop, boop, as soon as possible. There. No shade on Ant Man, but it's not exactly like a midnight. Stay up till three kind <laughs> yeah, yeah, of story. Yeah. Love you, Paul Rudd. <laughs> we do love we you, We do, Paul. though. We really do. And we're excited to see you in Avengers 4, because yeah. we know you coming. That's we right. Coming. <laughs> right. You just got to get out of uh, your quantum space time. <laughs> spoiler! Sorry. Oh, uh, you might want to go back and pause. Strike that from the record. But yeah, that sense of like community and tradition that comes along with it too, whether it be with like your family, your children, grandchildren in that case, or like with us, with your peers and your friends. To be able to go and see them or dialogue about them or talk about them. And it's that, um, you know, common thread throughout things that's yeah. kind of always there. Yeah. With your family or your chosen family. Or yeah. your chosen family. <laughs> and the other thing that I love that Jean mentions is rooting for the underdog. Yeah. yeah. You know, like, it's it's not always, I feel like, again, no shade on, on DC, uh, 
you just need to get your movies together. That's all. That's all we ask for. But like, I feel like Superman is such an easy person to root for because he's nearly invincible. Yeah. You know, right. whereas DC, y'all did succeed on what was that? The one with Heath Ledger, the Joker. That's the only time. Oh, I was, the Dark Knight. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah, that's that the was... only time I was rooting for a villain. Yeah. Ooh, yeah, that was good. And Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman is amazing. Wonder Woman was great. That was definitely by far their best. Yeah, 100%. I think. They don't. But... They don't do it as well. They don't. They don't have you rooting for the villain. No, you don't straddle the line there. You know, it's yeah. it's not like a shades of gray. Not that kind of shades of gray. <laughs> but it's not like a, a shades of gray where where you could truly kind of find yourself on that spectrum at any moment as to who you're rooting for. Yeah. You know? I don't think it's as nuanced of a story generally. It's a little bit more grand scheme story, big plot points. Because I ain't gonna lie. I kind of wanted Thanos to do what he did. Really? Well, just a little bit, because I was like, when he, I mean, outside of him killing all of Gomorrah's family and, and her, <laughs> and her, uh, see, this is the problem. Spoiler. Sorry. Sorry. Not the spoiler. <laughs> but this is the problem with these uh, Marvel characters, because you like, you root for them up until a point. Like, there's a point in which they do something. You're like, yeah. That was yeah. bad. We could all agree. I think you bad. and I hit that point at different times. <laughs> yeah, oh, snap. Really? When did you hit that point? I don't know. I'm just kidding. No, but really, what? You know? No, I, really, I wasn't trying to start something. Oh, no, no. <laughs> I, was, I was just curious because I was like, I, for me, I, I always hit it later in all those films. Yeah. And Ant-Man, too. But what is it about Thanos that you were like, I support his cause? Or I can, or I can see where he's coming from. Not necessarily support his cause, but see where he's coming from. Well, I was like, if you only have ever known, like, war and violence, like, I was like, I get it. I get it. I see why you need to feel the the need to, like, take over. Yeah. Well, I think he was really trying to balance out yeah. the universe, right? Like, he was trying to level things out so that things like poverty... But through and... destruction. I know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's like the... Like, he wasn't like Obama going in the streets talking to him. The Obama cares. No, he was like, kill them all, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's like the goal was maybe well-intended, but the execution yeah. was wrong. Yeah, like, was literally, bad. the execution but that's, was wrong. But that's what I... I think, actually, that's what I understand in Thanos. The execution... He, like, knew nothing else. Yeah. He knew no other way to execute it, but... <laughs> execution. <laughs> execution. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I don't think somebody was like, oh, baby, Thanos, look, this is how you do it. You got to talk to him. They're like, no, kill him. You know what I mean? But to the point that he would even sacrifice his own daughter. Yeah. Adoptive daughter, but still. Yeah, that's like straight up grief. I know. Straight up like North Philly. That's like the... North Philly. (laughs) Like, yep. I'm like, there we go. But yeah, I, I think in comparison to DC, like Superman, Batman, Aquaman, they all kind of like... Well, one, how many mans can we just put in the name? Right. Like, come right. on, let's vary it up a little bit. <laughs> Wonder Woman. Right. <laughs> oh, my God. Man, woman. Yeah. yeah, so yeah. Basic. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah, down okay. with the binary. We don't need right. to put gender Yo, in really your name. I really didn't realize that until just now. <laughs> I know. Whereas, yeah. like, it's like, Marvel's like, Storm. Right. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? Right. right. Or Rogue. Right. Yeah. Or Gambit. Gambit. Mystique. Wolverine. These guys Did you say Wolverine like, already? I don't no, know. No, no, I didn't. Yeah. No, it's just... I didn't never notice that until this. Yeah, Batman, well, even like Superman. Captain America instead of like America Man. <laughs> yeah, America Man, <laughs> and then Captain Marvel, and she's a girl, and she's a girl, and that movie's coming out. 
March? March. Yes. So to bridge us between the two Avengers. Um, And like awesome that a woman is coming in to save the day. Yeah. Yeah. So So Storm is another one that I actually want. I just want Marvel to get her right and also do an origin story on her. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm mad because I was like, I would love Denai Guerrero who played Okoye to play Storm. Oh, (laughs) that would have been so good. I know, it would have been so good, right? Yeah, that was But she's already in the universe. She's already Okoye. Yeah, Yeah. she's already Okoye. And there's too much crossover between Black Panther and Storm. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But I I need that character to be strong. Yes. She's a fucking goddess in (laughs) Africa. Like, Like she (laughs) She controls the weather. weather. Like, she needs to embody that. And just kind of have that sense that you, like, believe she could control weather you know what i mean because weather that is like an untamed beast you know what i mean so Mm -hmm. to have a superhero who does that has to have that kind of like essence about them of like oh you could actually pull lightning (laughs) from this guy and do something with it and you know what i mean like that's like that's real shit well it's not real shit but you know what i mean right (laughs) no it's it's exciting we want to see more of that yes and don't even tell me that apocalypse gives me her her introduction because it doesn't like that is that was so uh, poorly played out that no thank you We're and dating. also i i'm i'm a diehard fan of storm's original look not the new the like, new shade yeah no, new... i love goddess storm yes, yes. Yeah. Like, white like yeah like that's what everybody wants that's what everybody knows yeah 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 yeah, I think there's some iconic looks that like should stay. I think yeah. there's some that are cool to like play with a little bit and give you like a twist on it, but I think some iconic looks should kind of like We just like stay. miss on the all white and then the like the long hair yes. and the, the like and the, fly girl fly. Like, yeah. And maybe she doesn't need to have the long hair, but like I just want to. Oh, it's kind of cool though. Yeah, the it image, is cool. but the imagery is so. It's cool. so Diana like, Roth. Yeah, it was. That's yes. what it was like. It's like she that look from the '90s. I was just yeah, like, oh my so god, good. this woman. Yeah, I miss. Yeah, they haven't done her well. Yeah, but speaking of like adaptations to characters and everything, uh, I think this is an awesome opportunity to speak with Bill Masuku, uh, who's going to be joining us from Zimbabwe, about how Stanley and Marvel have influenced his work as an illustrator. Right. I was drawing uh, long before I knew what uh, narratives were. Um, I've been drawing ever since I was able to, you know have the motor function to hold things. And I also watched the X-Men cartoon, the, the 90s X-Men cartoon, which like it it was really in there in terms of uh, prejudice, uh, genocide, and really touching into some, some deep issues, man. But like, I'm a kid and I live in the suburbs and it was speaking to a part of me that I hadn't yet learned about, but I could hear it. I could hear it in in a way that really good storytelling can speak to parts of you that are still growing. Yeah. Um, and I, I honestly... That's really lovely, the way you put that. Thank you. I try. And I think Stanley really did a lot of work in terms of doing things that were outside of the norm for comic books at the time. Superman was, yeah, he was like a front of, forefront of like Jewish identity. But it was really Marvel characters that were stepping outside of the the bounds of what people would allow storytelling for young to older audiences. The Fantastic Four were essentially occult, just draped in um, superhero colorful outfits. If you look at any of the covers from the original runs, they're just monster books that they couldn't sell to kids because there was like a 
not a rights issue, uh, a censorship board that said you're not allowed to, to, to put monsters to kids. With obviously with Black Panther, I don't even need to speak about that, but here we are. He He's doing what people do today and people call it pandering. If I write about some trans character coming out, it's like, oh, you're pandering to an audience, but if I don't, who does? And Stanley right. did that same thing. If he if he didn't start writing about Black Panther and, and Black characters and initiating that that run, then I probably would I would probably still be drawing white male characters with blonde hair and I I wouldn't be adding to any sort of narrative. I wouldn't be telling a story. I would be telling someone else's story. Yeah, right. thinking that that's all that could exist. Exactly. Yeah. And if if you don't have people who are are willing to to push the boundary in terms of what is accepted, then who will accept you? And I honestly, when I heard the news, I my heart sank, and I was like, no, this is another hoax. You know, it comes every couple of years. Let me check Twitter, and Stanley is trending, and my heart sank further. And then I get a call from my brother, and all he says is Stanley has passed because he knows how much. It has hurt me, and I I wasn't okay. I wasn't okay. I am now. I am now. I read some comics. I'm good now. Yeah. But it's a to be continued, and I'm grateful that his story won't end. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It well, it lives on, you know, in in folks like us and and like you, Bill, that are, you know, carrying on his legacy by by creating characters of your own because he's given you the inspiration to want to draw, to want to further tell your narrative, you know. Yeah. The other thing that I I love that you touched upon, which was the inspiration for this for this podcast episode, is that how major adult themes can exist in things that we think are targeted for children, but are so much more than that. You know, and and as you said, and and Marchant highlighted as being beautifully said, was that these latch onto parts of you that are still growing, so that you can have that knowledge and and understanding as you form into a young adult, a grown man, woman, you know, gender non-conforming person, like it's these consistent themes that help us really understand and gain perspective on what happens around us. Yeah, definitely, man. Yeah. Bill, I would love to hear actually about, because you had mentioned that Superman was the forefront of Jewish identity. identity. Yeah. What was that about, Bill? Oh, so when they were making Superman, it was an an allegory for Jewish oppression in terms of what spaces they were allowed to be. Because at the time, and you can wiki this or or do some research, because I'm freestyling here. Um, at the time, at the time, like there was um, oppression against the Jews. I mean, there still is. Not it's not as visible now because of the blend of cultures and so on and so forth. But at the time, being Jewish was was just such a label it was such an easy target for people and there were only certain caricatures that you could fulfill and that caricature is clark kent you can wear glasses be the nerd be in the background don't don't ever make noise don't ever try to be the main character but inside all of us is a superman inside all of us is nurtured a superman from our parents teaching to the world that we accept and the world that we respond to there is a there's an s on our chest and how we how we 
disrobe. That sounds sexual. That's how we <laughs> how we remove our our plaid shirts and show our superhero symbols was the start of very subtle, very subtle narrative storytelling, which you have to look up to get. Um, but obviously, because this is my field of of study, field of work, like I have been looking it up, and that's that's what they were going for. And I honestly think they achieved that because there was a lot of kids growing up who failed to find a space, and it was easy to find yourself in a guy who could, you know, jump tall buildings in a single bound. He could not fly in the comics, mind you. Um, it was only because it was an animation problem of getting him to jump leg, leg, leg. So they just said, let him just float through the air. And then from then on, continuity wise, he got flying powers. But that's neither here nor there. No, that's uh, great. That's a yeah. lo- that's a lovely little like uh, yeah, history tidbit on the development of Superman. That's funny. The more you know. I know like back know. when uh, Superman first came out, there were a lot of kids that actually thought they could fly. And they yeah. were like, like jumping off things and actually committing suicide well mr rogers did a whole special on like he actually came out of production for another show to to address that issue is because kids were trying to emulate superman in a dangerous way yeah so bill there was Mm -hmm. uh well priscilla and i had been talking about uh, a little bit earlier about how superman was emblematic of the u.s involvement in the second world war and I, is that correct or misspoken or because it feels like there could be some overlap there? There's a lot of things. Um, and it, this happens when a character or a comic book becomes a product. So obviously you have uh, people that you have to when you're accountable to someone because of the thing that you make, there are certain agendas that get attached to your work. There's this thing about superheroes, right? Being in America, just like alien invasions. Like it being so localized to American borders. The rest of us find it super weird, just by the way. And (laughs) Wonder Woman says, like, she goes to this uh, village. I assume it's in, no, it was in Africa. They were in Burkas. No, they could be. Uh, Islam is one of the biggest religions here. So she goes to some village somewhere, okay? Okay. She goes to some village somewhere and she liberates the women who are slaves in the camps there under military rule. And she gives them the guns of the of their captors. And Superman flies in and is like, yo, listen, you're operating outside U.S. borders. You can't be doing these things. And she's like, well, I'm an Amazonian. You were the one raised in Kansas. And yeah. now it's like Superman, Superman has this now parallel between him and Dr. Manhattan, if you've ever read the Watchmen books or seen the movies, because Dr. Manhattan was a, essentially a weapon of, of war. And the things he can do are limited by the legalities of a government or, you know, treaties and allegiances. Superman just can't fly and destroy buildings because he thinks terrorists are in there. Like, he has to get the go-ahead from someone, which is why the Justice League as an instrument or as an institution is always frowned upon or the government is always on their their case because they they don't have a, a body that they are accountable to. Yes, that's the word, accountable to. Well, Bill, thank you for imparting all of your comic book wisdom. And yeah. that was that was awesome. And uh, for everyone listening, uh, please keep an ear out for my exclusive interview with Bill and Kellen when it releases in 2019 in conjunction with your your first novel. Yay. 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 <laughs> so and what do we have a title yet, Bill? 
Uh, it's called A Town Called Graham. All right. Well, Bill, thank you so much for joining us and uh, we'll be in touch soon. No, well, thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. Always. Bye. Bye. Have a lovely day. You too, Bye. Bill. Take care. I also thought that was interesting when he was talking about how so many superheroes revolve around the U.S. Yeah. And like when Wonder Woman was doing something in another country and Superman's like, you can't do that here. And she's like, I'm not American. <laughs> uh, I have no like allegiance. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm Amazonian. Like I do what I want. Like I'm going to help here. And then also just strange, too, that you don't think about that in superhero or at least like I haven't. Cause, but like I said, I didn't read um, a ton of the comics, so I'm sure it's much more in there than I'm aware of. But, um, yeah, you know, you kind of want to think, like, oh, you know, they can do whatever they want. And it's like, well, one, no, they can't because, like he said, you know, Superman can't just, like, blow down a building, like, because he thinks there's terrorists, you know, yeah. there's channels to go through. But then oh. to the same point, and this is another thing where these things parallel real life because then there's a the point, too, and it's like, okay, but there's a need somewhere, and I can go in there, and I can meet that need, and I can help these people. But if you're accountable to somebody you maybe can't, Yeah. you know, and because of like, you know, legalities or, you know, higher up government issues or whatever, you know, we, we don't have jurisdiction there or, you know, so it's such an interesting thing and that exists in real life too. Like there's sometimes our circumstances when people want to do good and they see a need and they want to be able to meet that need, but for whatever reason they can't. Yeah. Um, and the, I would say these things are all inspired by by real events, you know, the, right, the whole right. idea of, of uh, you know, jurisdiction and accountability, as Bill was talking about and how you're speaking to Priscilla is very real world issues. And I mean, I think even more so now today where it's this whole idea of like shutting down the U.S. borders and not helping anybody but ourselves, right. you know, whereas in this instance, Wonder Woman is like, uh, there are people that need help outside. Right. And she rises to the call and, yeah. and meets the need. So, but speaking of Wonder Women, our next featured guest is going to be Courtney Antonioli, who is my co-host for the Sarah Blue episode, also titled Nano Homo. And in this conversation, Courtney and I talk about how we connected both through middle and high school over things like X-Men and Marvel. I found comic books in early childhood. We'll say I was about 10 years old. And I don't remember, I wish I could remember what comic it was exactly but i just remember becoming engrossed and i quickly realized that these were my friends that these stories were becoming part of my life mm -hmm. they weren't things that were being taught in school they weren't things that people were talking about in my household or in my friend group and as an only child i was often by myself for long periods of time and i realized that i was lonely when i started reading comic books because i i longed for this interaction and I long to be a part of this world. Mm. One, because it's an amazing space that he's created, the, the universe, the Marvel universe and the interconnectivity between the Avengers and the X-Men and the Fantastic Four and the Punisher and all, all of the, the characters in that world. I wanted to live in it. But also beyond being just characters, there was, there was meaning there. And I, I craved that in, my life and I couldn't find it any place else except in comic books. And 
I started collecting comic books. I was the only person I knew in my life that like like legitimately would go to the comic book store every Saturday that my comic book dealer was named Craig and it was Legends of Superheroes in Watertown. And he would set aside the new releases for me. He knew what I liked and he'd be like, oh, Courtney, we just got this other thing in here. You might really like it. And and I, I had a network, I had, I had people and I also had people inside of the comic books. I was obsessed with Storm. I still am to be quite frank, she is a goddess, both on paper and in my regular life, and the X-Men, and the idea that I was an outsider in our community. I mean, we, we went to school together, we knew each other when yeah. we were kids, and I often, and I think you to a degree too, felt like an outsider yeah. among that group, and the X-Men were a representation of what it meant to be other. And I identified with them, and I, with that and with their stories, I didn't feel alone. I didn't feel as different. I didn't feel like I needed to assimilate into what everyone else was being or doing because the X-Men showed me that if you were true to who you were and you stood up for goodness and people and what was right, then that's what mattered. And I read them all throughout high school. I collected, I've got like long boxes and long boxes stuck in my uh, apartment here in Brooklyn. It takes up more space than it should, which space is a very important commodity in New York City. So I dedicate a great portion to it, to my comic book collection. I went to my first Comic-Con in high school, Big Apple Con. And in college, I aspired to work at Marvel. And these were people that I revered so much. The Avengers, Tony Stark, Captain America, Peter Parker. And I I wanted to be close to it. And I was also very afraid of applying to Marvel because it was, it was so above me. Like yeah. it was just, I couldn't imagine what it was like there. And I wanted to be there so badly. And it was through the comics that I got courage to apply. And it was the first thing in my life that I really said, I can do this. It took some time, but I, you know, I applied, I interviewed, and I got an internship in 2007 at Marvel Comics here in New York City. And it was a big deal because also I had to commute to New York City from Little Naugatuck, Connecticut every day to go to my internship for the, the whole summer. And I, I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm doing it. I'm really like, I'm doing it. I'm a part of it. I was ghost editing. I was uh, working on Brian K. Vaughn's The Runaways. Um, which is now a TV show. Which is now a TV show. And it was like be, being in the place that you've always wanted to be in. It was, I, I still to this day can't believe that I, I work there and I met these people. And still reading comic books the entire time. And it, I realized shaped who I am today, what I'm doing today. You know, the comic books are illustrations and dialogue married together. And I became a playwright. That's my degree. I became a storyteller. I became a writer because comic books influenced me and I could see the importance of representation, the importance of stories, you know, in in comic books, they're doing fantastical things. Mm. You know, the goddess storm is calling upon lightning to strike down. Cyclops takes off his visor and this crazy beams comes out of his eyes. But what are they doing? They're they're fighting for good. When I think of the X-Men, or I, I should say that the X-Men were my introduction to otherness, what it means to be othered by a society that doesn't want you, especially like the mutant registration, how they have to come forward and identify themselves. And that is so terrifying to me, especially 
at that age when it was like, you know, grappling with my own sexuality and identity of having to, especially in a place like high school, where it's like, you have to identify. there almost is that level of expectation where people want you to come forward and identify yourself. But it's like, you're not doing that in a positive way. You're doing it so that people could keep you at arm's distance or find you as a threat with the X-Men. You know, it's, it's the idea that people find mutants as being a threat to society. And so everyone wants to know who you are so that they can stay away from you. Absolutely. But yet the X-Men, as you're referring to, are actually fighting on behalf of the civilian that doesn't support them, that doesn't believe in them. Because they're working against adversity with Storm and her her ability to manipulate you know, the forces of nature and Cyclops with his beams and uh, Professor X as the epitome of... Uh, compassion and understanding and realizing that their way of thinking, the human way of thinking is flawed. But yet we are going to protect them to the best of our ability because it is the right thing to do. I would even take it a step further that the stories, you know, they talk about the golden and the silver age of comic books, you know, the storylines of the Mutant Registration Act, of uh, the legacy virus storyline, of Jean Grey, uh, the Dark Phoenix. One of my favorite arcs. Those storylines were were prescient because the, the idea of, of say, for example, the Mutant Registration Act, there right now are people having to fight against, having to self-identify as uh, a minority group, having to identify as an immigrant or, you know, these things haven't stopped. Yeah. And they were relevant back then, and they're relevant today, and they're not cartoons. Right. They're, they're not um, just for your pleasure. I think they're, they're learning tools and opportunities that, that I, I realize that, you know, just the way that a novel is distinct in its time and can tell you about the things that were happening in culture and in society, a comic book can do the same thing. You can open it up and find out what was happening right then and there in the way that it's a historical document of its time and they're powerful and they're important and just we talk about representation comic books is a form of representation absolutely i I didn't know that i could be a leader of a team storm ran the gold team she beat cyclops the man and she took over and she was a boss yeah i i didn't know that it was possible to be a boss the way that she is and the the women of the teams are integral parts of the teams they're leaders they're they're talking about strategy. They're they're relevant. They're on the covers. They're valued. They are. Yeah, and they're valued as equal, and and their contribution to the team is always seen as something important and necessary. Yeah, nobody's like, um, P.S. Kitty Pride, you just need to just talk a little softer right now because the the boys over here are talking. Wolverine and Gambit are taking mm-hmm. care of it for you. No, absolutely not. You would never see that on a page. And I, Stan Lee was able to take the things that he saw that weren't going well in society or weren't right and turn it into, I think, digestible learning tools Mm -hmm. that were also entertaining and interesting and stand the test of, stand the, (laughs) he stands the test of time. (laughs) Stanley's comic books and the characters that he's created, which, I mean, talk about somebody who's created a portfolio of zeitgeist characters. I mean, these are, to this, to the, I go to comic book, conventions now you've got five or six year old kids running around they want to be peter parker they want to be iron man they want to be captain america 
these things last yeah. because they're relevant because they're always happening and people you know you talk about superheroes people aspirationally you know you want to do the right thing and grow up and be superman like when i was a kid to see 20 30 years later kids are still gravitating towards this mm -hmm. it's so heartening yeah i saw this beautiful meme of that somebody illustrated and it was like stan lee coming into heaven with like rays peeking through the clouds and it was like you're pretty good at creating universes kid and i was like that is so beautifully done so beautifully done so kudos to whoever created that meme but it, it was it was spot on you know yeah about how stan was so gifted in creating worlds that emulated our own th that were inspired by our own and that's the whole thing that i wanted to to highlight here was how well coming back to what you were saying about like novels and like when we read them your imagination is still at play because as you read a book that is written out without any illustration to it, you're still using your imagination to create the world in your head, whether it's fictional or nonfiction, right? You're still employing yeah. your active imagination to create the scenario that's happening. Whereas with something like a graphic novel, something like a comic book, you're meeting somebody at the level of their imagination. Oh, that's so interesting. You yeah. know, because they are helping to fill in that imaginary gap sometimes you know and it's what i love about it is that you're meeting that person literally on the page yeah you know oh that's so interesting so it's like there's this whole thing about oh picture books like how picture mm. books can be demeaning and they're not you know not at all why should we ever limit the capacity of art as i've gotten older it's been interesting to me especially going to comic book conventions and like talking uh, to people who are in the industry as artists or on panels as writers and comic books when you're younger are acceptable. They're a pastime, they're cute. As you get older, you're expected to leave parts of your childhood behind. You're supposed to grow up, be serious, have a career. And comic books, I've never given up mm. and they've influenced so much of what I do now that it makes me sad to think that some people have cut that part of their life out or feel that they have to. Yeah, that they have to because it's it's a picture book or it's it's silly. You yeah. know, people don't understand what a comic book is and going to comic book conventions, you see how many people are impacted and that people grow up to be comic book artists and, and writers and that's, you know, that's all they've ever wanted to be. That's all they've ever wanted to do. And I'm so happy to see that they're taking what Stanley made and expanding upon it. You know, the universe that he created, he never kept to himself always wanted people to be a part of it to explore it cosplaying you know i would when i worked at marvel people would talk about how generous he was how much he wanted to talk to people and fans and he really engaged on every level and you know people talk about stanley's a big kid at heart there's nothing wrong with that you yeah. you know carry comic books with you carry the stories carry the characters into your life because they provide value yeah and i i'll keep i'm gonna keep doing it i'm gonna keep reading and collecting and now that there's the cinematic universe and there's other ways to explore it and what other people gain from it what other people have done with it in their life i i absolutely adore i i still buy comic books yeah and the thing is like you can there it's a level of balance right so it's not a matter of like everything you read has to be a comic book or that, you know, there's this whole idea of you can't function as an adult if you carry these things forward in your life. 
it's a matter of being responsible. And sometimes I think that things like comic books, as we heard from Jean, that they give you the vocabulary or the the moral compass to fight for or believe in what is right or how to act in the world in the way that you hope you could in the way that you see through figures like Storm, like Cyclops, like Captain America, you know? So, but I think all we have to say is thank you, Stan Lee, for his work and the legacy that he has, has given us. Absolutely, thank you. Yeah. I don't know what I would be doing today if it wasn't for comic books. Whether you've been listening along as a loyal subscriber or because you're a comic book fan like all of us, I hope that you've caught some glimpse of Stan Lee's effect. You see, despite the comments made against him, Mr. Lee has done more for the social outsider than mainstream media ever has. He has given us a home, an identity, and the super strength to not escape the issues of the world we live in, but to meet them head-on with heart and courage. I would like to thank my co-hosts Priscilla Curtis and Marchant Davis, as well as our contributors for this episode, Gene Strickland, Bill Masuku, and Courtney Antonioli. Our opening theme is provided by Ben Sound, with additional music courtesy of Lapidus Audio. If you are in the NYC area, Typed Out will be hosting its first ever open mic night next week on Thursday, December 13th at Star Bar in Brooklyn. Check out our website and Instagram for more details. We hope to see you there. As always, I thank you for listening. But before you go, I would like to leave you with this. Let's lay it right on the line. Bigotry and racism are among the deadliest social ills plaguing the world today. But unlike a team of costumed supervillains, they can't be halted with a punch in the snoot or a zap from a ray gun. The only way to destroy them is to expose them, to reveal them for the insidious evils they really are. The bigot is an unreasoning hater, one who hates blindly, fanatically, indiscriminately. If his hang-up is black men, he hates all black men. If a redhead once offended him, he hates all redheads. If some foreigner beat him at a job, he's down on all foreigners. He hates people he's never seen, people he's never known, with equal intensity, with equal venom. Now, we're not trying to say it's unreasonable for one human being to bug another, but although anyone has the right to dislike another individual, it's totally irrational, patently insane to condemn an entire race to despise an entire nation, to vilify an entire religion. Sooner or later, we must learn to judge each other on our own merits. Sooner or later, if man is ever to be worthy of his destiny, we must fill our hearts with tolerance. For then, and only then, will we be truly worthy of the concept that man was created in the image of God, a God who calls us all his children. Pax et Justitia, Stan. Stan.